Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing paper? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and your cash flow fluctuates? Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the Tricks of Your Trade. Hello, welcome to episode 31 of the Tricks of Your Trade podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Serson, construction adjudicator, lawyer and director of Tricks of Your Trade. Today on my podcast, we are talking to Kieran Scott from FirePro Australia. Uh, Kieran is a passive fire certifier and passive fire uh, installer. So they're... Our company does the installation for passive fire components, including the installation for buildings in accordance with the building code. And he also is a certifier in his own right. Kieran is as good as it gets in this area um, and has been known to be an expert witness uh, in legal proceedings. So you are listening to somebody who really knows what he's talking about, but also somebody who wears two hats. So... The unique thing about the work that Kieran does is that he gets to be treated as a subcontractor and he gets to be treated as a building certifier. And so anyone listening to this who is a subcontractor will know that there is an insane uh, power imbalance when it comes to whether you're at the top of the food chain in terms of the contract with the principal and the head contractor or if you are right down the very bottom of the food chain um, doing site install work as a subby or a sub-subby. So Kieran talks really candidly about what it was like for him when he started his business. He came out and he was doing predominantly certification work and then he moved into the installation um, side of things as well. And It's really interesting in terms of contracting practices and the documents that he's asked to sign and how that negotiation goes down, what the payment terms are, uh, how much pushback he gets when he sort of provides expertise or provides any kind of feedback on design um, and buildability and whether or not he's even listened to when he's at the bottom of the food chain versus when he's the guy signing off on the certification. And the other thing we're going to talk about is Kieran's going to take you through what it was like for him the first time he got advice from a lawyer about what was in the contract that his builder wanted him to sign. Insanely candid interview, uh, one of my favorite interviews that I've done to date, and I'm really excited to share it with you. So without further ado, I'm going to uh, bring on Kieran and we're going to have a listen back on the interview we did with Kieran. Welcome to our very next Members Spotlight uh, for Subby's Toolbox Membership Launch Week. Today, I have got Kieran Scott from FirePro on here with me to talk about the tools that he has been using in his trade contracting business uh, for the last five years with us, uh, with Tricks of Your Trade, and what it has done for his business. So welcome, Kieran. Thank you very much for coming along. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so just for everybody watching, Kieran is a passive fire certifier. So very um, niche skill set in terms of your qualifications and what you do on site. Uh, and you and I actually met on a building site. We did. So yeah. Back in 2015, I think it was. It was many years ago. It was a long time ago now. 
in terms of when I first met you, you were in squarely the certifier role. Fire Pro was a relatively new business and you were doing things innovatively like we hadn't seen any certifiers do it before. So uh, essentially, from what I remember, you were offering like a penetration register for all trades and you would be engaged by the builder and you would essentially certify all of the trade works. That was bang on, that, yeah. Is that still how you do it? Um. It is. It is. It's as far our, our business kind of grew arms and legs from there. But yeah, fundamentally, um, we still do offer that service and it ties ties everything together for the builder in one spot. I, I believe it makes it easier for them and it definitely makes it easier for the handover documents to the client at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely an attractive prospect for us to know that you were working for us, you were impartial and third party to the subcontractors and so we felt at the time that that would give the certification more credibility, really. Um, but what quickly happened was, like you said, your business grew arms and legs. And so you went from working in a certifier role to being a sub-subcontractor and subbing for install. We did, yeah. And and right now, still our bread and butter would be um, sub-subcontractor. We would normally fall in under either the mechanical or electrical or plumbing contractors and yeah we're we can sometimes even be further down the chain depending what what work we are doing yeah so in terms of the power balance when you're contracting and say who's the bigger and who's the chooser in the situation do you see a difference between when you're in your certification role and when you're in your install role there there is a massive difference between where you sit in the food chain um if, if you're even the sub-subby for, for, let's say, an electrical contractor, you don't really know too much what's going on inside. You definitely signed up the same way. You've got a contract with them. Um, you rock up the site. You're probably not too wise about the builder's program, what's going on, and you get there and you, you discover everything. Uh, I guess where it really changes is when there's an issue or someone else believes they're an issue and how that flows back down to a sub-subby. In reverse, when you're there for the builder, uh, you could almost say that we're there, we're aiding them. So if you if you are the subcontractor, you probably look at us that we're creating the issue for you and giving you a headache by picking you up on bits and bobs throughout the project. Um, once you make a final stance when you're there for the builder, it's fantastic. It's actioned and it's done. When you're there as a sub-subby and you try and give an idea, I don't think it actually ever reaches the builder and something that could have been simplified disappears. Yeah. Yeah, so that passing down of liability is a cracker. Do you think it's conducive to building good buildings? Oh, I don't think so, no. I think, I think in a roundabout way, if the decisions were made uh, how they were meant to be made at the top and then we we're all on the same playing field and we knew what the rules we were playing by it would be a lot easier the fact that we get to the point of where the builder pushes liability and you could inherently end up with the sub subcontractor making a decision especially in fire and our trade that doesn't have a holistic view of the building um you could detrimentally change the performance of of what the engineer was intending and you're none the wiser and the builder accepts it and we proceed forward. And in the end, we could have a non-compliant building. Yeah. Yeah, it's very scary stuff. 
Um, <clears throat> you're well aware uh, when I finished working for builders, I went to work for a law firm for a little while and you came along one day for a contract review. So you called me because I was a mate in your phone book. I know someone who can help me with this. And you came into the law firm for a contract review and I was as green as you get. I was the shit kicker. I was the photocopy girl. And there was a very, very good construction lawyer giving you advice that day. But mm. tell me a little bit about that experience. What was that like for you? Wow. That was that was scary. Uh, first time meeting with a lawyer to go through my um, contract. I think that contract from memory was about 300 pages. Uh, I'd read it as, as good as I could and thought I had a firm understanding of what, what was what and what was going on. But being a big job at the time, I think it was around that $300,000 mark. We went, okay, let's let's do the right thing. Let's go to the lawyer. Let's seek the advice we should. And at least that way we'll know all our risk. Uh, we sat down in that room. <laughs> we, we went through the, the contract review. I, I can't quite remember how long we were there for now. But I'm pretty sure I walked out more confused than what I did when I walked in. Um, just because we would read things at face value. And and I believe lawyers, as much as they, they mean well, they have to show you all your risk. Um, they read it from their side. And there is, as, as, as far as I was concerned, if you took all of the advice, you may as well close the doors now because you actually wouldn't have uh, a company or sign a contract ever. Um, and that's how they line it up, I guess. And, and he, you're right. He, he was very good at what he'd done, but I walked out thinking there might not be an avenue here to, to sign a contract. And geez, what have I done? I've, yeah. I thought I was pretty savvy with what I was doing. And <laughs> I think I went backwards. Yeah. Well, from my perspective that day, and this is as, you know, a friend of the industry who sort of, I was so stoked when you called and you said, look, can we get some advice? I was thinking, yeah, good on you. That's exactly what you should do. And yep. it was $3,000 money in trust before you could attend the consultation. Um, mm -hmm. You didn't get anything in writing. You turned up. You had rapid fire, like, this problem and this problem and then if that happened, this would happen and it was like watching an Armageddon movie unfold. And then the end result was we don't recommend that you sign this contract. It is too risky. Now, I have to qualify that particular job had um, teeth in terms of it was not a straightforward job. It was a refurb, wasn't yeah. it? And yeah. had some hefty. So that particular contract, for good reason, we'd said you can't sign that contract. But I felt so bad for you because I remember walking you out thinking, Kieran's just priced this job, just gone to the post-tender interview, all the time and money getting to the point where the builder gives you the document and are you really going to go back to that builder and say, I'll never work for you? Instead, what I felt should have happened was we should have given you a way that you could have signed that document. And yeah. I now know five years down the track that there is a way that it can be done um, and you bang on like that commercial risk. If you did not take on any risk or even unacceptable risk, then you wouldn't have a business. And one of the first things they teach you in corporations law at law school is that businesses are designed to fail to protect the assets and interests of the people behind them. So us clever human beings actually created this little falsehood in front of us, this facade, um, <laughs> to protect ourselves. So 
it is uh, by nature really soul destroying. And I have to thank you for that experience because after that day, I had a really organic conversation with the people in the law firm. I didn't end up staying with the law firm, not because they were broken, but because I felt that there was this spot in the middle that needed to be bridged. And I remember saying to that solicitor, these guys, like, they can't just not do business. And the other clients that we're helping, they're already in court. It's $100,000. This is too far. This It's too far gone by the time they get here. And an he epiphany said, moment from this. I yeah. did. And he grabbed me and he said to me, Michelle, that's a different service. Yes, they could have done everything right to prevent getting themselves here, but that's not what we do. That's not what lawyers do. You're going to be very unhappy as a solicitor if you can't deal with picking up what's left and helping people get through when it's in the darkest days. And I thought, you know what? I don't know anybody who's providing that service. And Within a few weeks, I had an ABN and I was out on my own doing what we're doing. So this is really where the Subbies Toolbox membership came from. And That's awesome. Yeah. And so guys like you were actually intrinsic in that sort of catalyst of how that unfolded. Um, in terms of the tools that we give you now in the Subbies Toolbox, you've got the internal contract review checklist. What's the process like for you now when you do it? Look, I think I think it grows arms and legs as you go. But you're right. The the nooks and crannies of the 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 reviewal that you give, um, it works a treat. And you start with that, and there's a lot of information in there. There is a lot of information. And when you read your first contract, and you then you 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 go through your contract list, you go, oh geez, I'm going to read the same page five times, three different ways, and you're going to go, oh, do I quite get it? Um, but as time goes on, you can streamline that checklist again to get to where you really need to get to. Um, you can follow it to the letter, you follow it pretty closely. We follow it pretty closely. Um, we do a lot of contract review. I do a lot still myself, um, just because I, sadistically somewhere, I don't mind reading how people try to change definitions to mean different things later on down the track. So it's nice to try and pick them up on the way through. I'm sure there's other people out there like me, but uh, yeah. Um, if you follow it and you get to the end and, you, and you've done it all, you can you can near enough rest assured that you're going to have identified risk on the way through and you should be able to, to, I guess, have a conduit to the guy you're subbing for or the developer to to raise, raise the what you've found and come to some sort of agreement, yes or no, or however it is. But at least it didn't just get swept under the rug. Or even worse, you weren't aware of what you were signing or reading or didn't understand it. So I think you you really address key flag points that everybody should be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. So often we find that people will get to a point where they haven't been paid or there's a big dispute <clears throat> and something will need to be done officially about it. And it is so disheartening when we have to say to somebody, ABN is actually wrong on your contract and it belongs to that company over there. Or, And it's something really difficult for us to argue where if you're a subcontractor with a group of companies and many, many of you have got more than one company and you have a contract with one ABN and a payment claim with another ABN, all of a sudden it's $10,000 in additional legal fees to argue a big issue. who the one yeah. you are. <laughs> But this this identifies a huge a huge um, I guess gap in what we do. 
lots and lots of people, you're spot on, are reactive. We're being reactive here. We go to the contract when there's already an issue. And I know how you look at things. And I probably don't quite follow it 100%, I'm 80 90%. Um, if, you get, if, you, if you're at that point, you're reading the contract because you're in trouble, you're back to front. We've done it all wrong. It's not going to resolve anything. We need to change this reactive mindset and start this way around. If we can have a proactive approach to what we're doing, why wouldn't you? Because it helps you every step of the way. Why would yeah. you want to be running through with your eyes closed? Let's 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 at least know our risk and what's there. And hey, if something pops up, you go, I remember that. I flagged that in the contract right here. If this is going to happen, hey, I need to go and I need to take these next steps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And I mean, you yourself as a tradesman, what was it like when you first started reading the building code? You had to level up. You had to. <laughs> am I yeah. right? Or did you be born yeah, reading no, this absolutely. stuff? No, absolutely not. Jeez. Um, first couple of times, uh, yeah, nerve wracking. Um, yeah. you, you, oh, they're, not, they're not meant to be read easily. That's the idea. They're, they're meant to be read uh, is, as the government would see as stringent but as interpretive as, as the person reading them, um, which just gives a whole new industry in the background, really, of, of gray area and terminology. Um, when I first read them, I was pretty scared. And I remember for the first few years when we were, when we were contracting and we're reading and reading and reading. And in FIRE, it really narrows down to a couple of key areas and there is a lot of discrepancy around what things can and can't be and we read them all but i think kind of going off of what you were saying uh, in the meeting we had with the lawyer it gave you an organic sort of epiphany that went whoa wait a minute this isn't what i want to do and maybe i need to practice different or maybe i need to do something completely different um when we first read the building code, we followed in suit with everyone else. We went, okay, we've got to read it this way. And then we got our own ideas. We went, but that's that's kind of not what that's meant to read. And then as you go on, you you learn all the, the background and you understand that's definitely what that's not meant to read. But as a, an organic, a sort of, the, I guess, life-changing how we practice, we got the opportunity to do live fire training down down at the Caltex refinery with the fire brigade and they put you in a container after a whole day's brief a container that's on fire and you're there in full apparatus and and as as a firefighter would be wearing now going to fight this building now there's lots of us there and the concept is how do you suppress a fire and work your way back out of the container and it's the same as how would you suppress the fire along the corridor within the building to attempt to save occupants or push it back to a point we can gain access. As it gone on, they kept chucking more and more bags of diesel and this got hot. And the only thing we were looking at was our oxygen gauge going, oh, wow. So we got out of that and we looked back at what we had read different ways and we went, you know what? I don't know why on earth we'd be reading or trying to read anything in between what's written. It clearly states the facts. And now when you're at the curly end and the fire brigade are in trying to fight this fire, 
all them words you're trying to have read to cut corners or contractors wanted you to read this way so they could attempt to save cost is really detrimentally affecting the end. And we went, that's it. We'll stop now because after feeling that intense heat of what the mm -hmm. brigade men have to do to actually evacuate people, you went, are you kidding? Are we, are we reading them this way because that's what industry does? And that kind of revolutionized FirePro again and how we practice and we move forward. But yeah, so I guess scary, epiphany, <laughs> now it's really easy to read. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, an extra 30 seconds in that container, you know, without an extra bag of diesel, I suppose it's a really sort of tangible way for you to be able to feel that, like feel the actual yeah. effects of that. But I know myself having worked for builders that it's definitely an element of, you know, the boys club in terms of my certifiers, my mate and things like that. And I just think it's so dangerous for you and for them. And I mean, we've had so many awesome conversations about this over the years in terms of, you know, when you're bargaining for a contract and things like that, if you're doing, you're carrying out your trade works as a sub subcontractor, it's a completely different dynamic to being the certifier on a building for the builder. And it shouldn't be that way. I don't feel it should be that way. Uh, one of the most interesting things that, and again, this was very early after I'd started my business, was working with you guys. And it was the days of you guys drinking tinnies of bloody Forex gold at the back of your Longton <laughs> warehouse and you guys telling me. That still happens how, every now and again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you guys telling me how some, contractors treated you guys as the sub-subby and what your payment terms were. And I was astounded oh, yeah. that subcontractors who were being treated badly by builders and screaming from the hilltops about being victims would then go on and double down on you guys below them in the contractual chain. It just flows downhill, doesn't it? Um, you're bang on. Yeah, I remember them. We, we don't have many of them on anymore because as you get older and you develop, you, you kind of get rid of the clients that, that give you a headache that you don't want to deal with and you know it's going to be a fight. Why Why would you enter into something that you already know is an uphill battle before you've done any work just based mm -hmm. on previous history, especially around payment terms, yeah? Um, yeah. But you, you, still, you still see it now. And, and we turn away and we say no for, for some reasons. But the main one, if they're the subcontractor, and they're entitled, and they're, they're entitled to put their claim in, and they're going to be paid within 15 business days from under the, the, the principal contractor, but then try to pass 60-day payment terms back down. Yeah. You kind of go, that's really not fair, considering that we're still, we're, we're normally a last sort of trade. We, everything has to be run or everything has to be in. It's, oh, wait, we need to fire rate the building. And then they go, yeah, but... Can you wait 60 days? No, I'm not waiting 60 days. I'd rather not do the job. Imagine how many other jobs we could put in at the time that people will pay in the right terms. But yeah, they're, they're, it's, I don't think it's got any better, Michelle, to be honest. It, it was more cowboyish go back five, six years ago. And then we brought in a, a, a whole new set of, of, of rules that we have to go by now. That doesn't mean they really changed. It means the big players changed how they wanted to practice. So if you're dealing for a, a tier one subcontractor that's on mega infrastructure, well, they're going to fall in suit and they're going to play the game properly. But if you're dealing with Joe Bloggs that's doing three high rises, 
that are just just little run-ups. Um, no, not a chance. But I think it flows down. So I, my my opinion is, and the way I see, the way I see it unfold normally is, if that subcontractor you're working for is absolutely battling with the builder to be paid, and he is struggling, well, he is going to push us to be last to eat, right or wrong. Hmm. And it's it's not fair. No one says it's fair, but business isn't fair. It's hmm. definitely not right. And yes, it hurts. It does hurt in some instances. But you'd be surprised what emails you actually get put in as a sub-subby. And you see how, how, I guess, the builder or whoever they're working for is treating them. And you go, that's that's bizarre. And you're just this little man at the end. Yeah, crazy. It is. I would love nothing more than to be able to reach every single subby in this country and help them find a better way to be able to deal with their builders. And I honestly, hand on heart, believe that the only way that we can have meaningful, lasting change is if everybody has not negotiables, everybody educates mm. themselves to a level. And it's like you say, look, the tier ones know how to do it. Yeah, because they've been trained, they've got the resources. But if you're working for the low-end tier two builders and the tier three builders, you're in the tar pit and yeah. you really are going to be battling because a lot of them have only just scraped together enough to get a licence or they haven't got the runs on the board or they're never getting out of that tier of building work they for a reason. Yeah. 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 And so... In you, can see it. you can see it with what subcontractors do them jobs and we see it from every angle. You'd be, you'd be surprised how many tier two, tier three builders hire an over over consultant to make sure everyone's right but then pick the worst contractors to execute the work <laughs> you go, this yeah. is, it, it covers them but it, it feels counterproductive you pay yeah. to make sure they do it right you could have just had a better contract to do the job yeah but they never get out of that 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 battle it's never going anywhere they're just that's their market yeah Look, it's a systematic, um, from a cultural perspective, I really feel it's like a hierarchical blue-collar discrimination scale of, you know, architect, engineer, builder, subcontractor, sub-subby, tradesman on site, ABN worker, apprentice. It just keeps going down, doesn't it? And I'd be so interested to see um, a typical email that you would get from a builder if you were working for a builder right next to a typical email that you would get as a sub-subby and have a look at what the wording and the language is like. Just Chalk and, have... chalk and cheese. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but like anything, if you're direct for the even, – even if you're there for the subcontractor, uh, the builder, and we're doing – and we're just direct to them, I think there is, there is a clear difference between trade works and consultancy works. And you are treated very different in both roles. So I could be there for the builder, but we're carrying out installations and we happen to be doing the certification with it. But there, I'm there for the builder or the developer as the consultant, no installation work, just the paper side. They two transactions are very different as well. And I'm doing the same role fundamentally. I'm mm -hmm. just helping them in a bigger span here. Um, I, don't, I don't know how that changes going forward and and i guess you get to these big questions sometimes is how do you even start the ball to change culture culture takes so much time to change and it's it's not right 
no, it's not right how they practice. It's not right how anyone practices really across the board when when they have to engage other people. To change a culture needs to start somewhere. Where that where that first point is, I'm not too sure, but you're right. If everyone went on the same page, you'd have a completely different industry. And you're not trying to make it lopsided. You're just trying to balance the field, I think, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's two things that crop up in mind for me. One is that every single person I have this conversation with wants it too. So collectively, where are we? And if I've got to give up my pronouns for equality these days and construction is that far behind that we still discriminate against our subcontractors and our tradespeople to the point where suicide and construction is of the highest statistically, Yep. I just, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say to motivate people in that direction. I don't know why they're not motivated on their own. Um, maybe it just takes somebody to stand up and talk about it. But anyway, we have been on here for nearly 26 minutes now. So um, this has quick. been an amazing, an absolutely amazing interview. Thank you so much. And I'm really intrigued by your perspective on things in terms of the difference in the hierarchy of the contractual chain, but also how you flipped the power balance by just deciding where you were going to take your own business. So you cut off most of your arms and legs with your business about two years ago, I think you decided yep. this is it for most of the dog eat dog commercial space. We're going to work in a maintenance arm and you do a whole lot of stuff like that now, which is totally different um, landscape in terms of where you're working and your day-to-day enjoyment of what you do with your business and with your commercial stuff, what does it look like now compared to when you guys just started out? So it's, it's still there. It is still there, but it's nowhere near the size it was. Um, I think if you were to look at percentages, I would say 80% back in the day would have been wet concrete works and we'd be working on, on site and 20 the other. We probably completely flipped that. Absolutely. We'd be 80% in either consultancy and refurbishment works, 20% wet concrete. Um that comes from changing clientele and changing and, and, and starting right back from not signing contracts you don't want to, not agreeing to payment terms you don't want to have. It's a snowball effect. Once you start, it's actually quite funny where you end up. Um, and you can get lost and you kind of get in that, that momentum uh, and going, well, this is what we've done. This is what we always do. We like, we like wet concrete. You're right. We don't hate it. It's good fun. It is good fun because that's where we all came from and, and we've we've kind of always kept it. But what it shows is you can recreate your revenue. You just have to apply yourself and and go in a different direction. I've also got another another friend of mine that has another fire company and he went completely no installation. Done. Only consultancy works, full stop. And you go, That's that's wow, why? Same reason. Exact same reason. Didn't want the headaches. Didn't want this on site. Didn't want it to pan out. Now we're 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 more certainly not that because we quite enjoy the installation side. But yeah, you can diversify. And once once it starts, it gains momentum. And before you know it, you look back and you go, "Why did I even put up with half the stuff we did? Why did we ever get ourselves into sticky situations like we were?" And I guess, really, it was just by not knowing. And and that that right there identifies how do you all how do you all stand together or do you change something? Let's go right back to the start. Where where is a good rule book 
that says when you first start a business, hey, guys, this is the cheat list that you need to know that you don't get until you've been in business for five, six, seven, eight years. Where's that list? How do we start that back there? And I think, I think really, as you would agree, you could have that list, but no one would read it because without feeling and without experiencing what had happened and, and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong, it's just a list, you know? So you just inevitably get better, I guess, yeah. I think everybody has an element of thinking that they have to do the hard yards before it gets good. The problem is I find a lot of subcontractors who go out there and kick down doors to get clients, you're actually establishing a working relationship and you're setting a bar. So if you walk in from day one and go, no worries, I'm so desperate, I'm going to sign this contract. Sign I'm not away. even going to read Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you come back from that? Because in two years, when you go back to the same builder and say, I want these changes, he goes, what's all this about? you got your knickers in a knot, you know, and then right. boom, yeah. lost your leverage. And I think you're bang on, yeah. If you pick if you pick your client, and, and it, it balance, commercial balance as well. Everyone quotes lots of works. You're going to win. Yes, you're going to have some hard ones. Yes, you're going to have some great ones. And it's a great ones you need to hold on to. And remember, and I know that's such an old thing. Of course you do. Repeat clientele. That's where it's at. Um, but it's harder to hold on to repeat clientele than, than what you would believe. Because like most humans, it's like, oh, look, there's a shiny object. There's a shiny object. Oh, well, <laughs> that's a cheaper quote. Well, let's give them a go. Well, what happened? Nothing. I just thought we'd give them a try. Why? Because you get bored of the same thing, right? <laughs> but you have to really drill down with them clients to go, that's that's what you want. That's beautiful. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. If you went in and you said, I'll agree to everything, how do you unravel that? You don't. Yeah. You need to cut your tie. And if that's your main source of income, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. That whole 80-20 rule where 80% of your revenue will come from 20% of your clients and there's a good chance yeah. that your 20% of your clients are getting something out of the transaction more than just you're on budget. There's a, typically another reason that they're using you and it could be because you are a pushover or because you're carrying their cash flow because you don't squeal until 60 days overdue or something like that. Yeah. So, yes. That's probably the most important. And I guess depending where you are as a subcontractor, how big or how small you are, just having that consistency. You can't be sporadic in your admin. And, and I know you love that side, Michelle. And, and <laughs> I, I love it to a part. <laughs> and then, then there's a process that people follow and it's brilliant. But if you don't have the fundamental process there and you are sporadic and there's there's no structure, well, of yeah. course, they're going to take the mickey, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, two biggest objections I get from people who are looking at the Subby's Toolbox membership but don't want to say yes now is I don't have time yet as if they're going to have more time next week and <laughs> I can't ruin my relationships. And yeah. I often think... If your relationships are taking up so much of your time that you don't have the time to mitigate against this stuff and have good admin systems that support other business functions as well, not just, you know, getting paid and managing your contracts, you're actually supporting lots of other business functions as well. Um, yep. What does that tell you about those relationships? It doesn't have to be all or nothing. There's a way that you can... Uh, clamp down over time and just periodically lift your um, level up, so to speak, in terms of being able to implement these things without it being 
you know, a two-week project of in and of itself that you've got to get everything perfect on day one. Even just the smallest 2% little bit of implementation has got our members the most insane results. That's good. Yeah. And, and you're bang on. You're absolutely spot on. You've got to start somewhere. You may as well start. I think the biggest thing is a fear of something new. And yeah, it's always scary. Just take that first step. And before you know it, you're in motion. And once you start, you don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the view like from the top? I mean, would you ever do it any other way when you look back? No, not now. No. I'm, I'm, <laughs> once, once it's all in place and things work, yes, it's hard to implement at the start. Once it becomes a function of your business, well, things seem to run smoother. And you go, well, why don't we have all them headaches that we used to? Uh, because we're following the strict, stringent process. And all staff members, all managers follow through. It's just how things are done. And, and you go back and how did you used to do it? Well, I don't know anymore. <laughs> there, there clearly wasn't a good enough process. Yeah. Yeah, certainly not grieving for your old ways, that's for sure. Well, no, thank well. you very much. Yeah, thank you for your time. It has been an amazing chat. I'll let you get oh, back to your afternoon. And, yeah, thank you on behalf of our viewers who have been tuning in and we'll look forward to um, I might have to give you a shout-out on our podcast if it's okay with you. I'll use the audio from this and you can listen to yourself next week when you're driving around listening to my podcast. <laughs> so that concludes my podcast for today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure that you would have. And in terms of the perspective that you get, uh, one of the biggest takeaways that I got from that conversation, which I have not been able to stop thinking about, is how the building industry is incentivized to try to twist the building code to accommodate what they're trying to achieve. And Kieran's story about sitting in that firebox and understanding how hot and how hard it is for the um, emergency services guys when a building is actually on fire completely changed his perspective. And interestingly, in the past few years, there's been buildings collapse because of structural issues around the world. And I don't know if any of you saw that recent newsreader, um, the clip of the newsreader when the earthquake happened in Melbourne and he's the, his, straight away his mind went to, is it an earthquake or is it a structural issue? And he was very aware that, you know, they're sitting in a high rise filming the morning news and straight away his mind went to, it was probably not a natural disaster in Australia. It's probably more likely to be a structural issue, which is pretty damning, isn't it? When uh, the public perception is that bad around Sydney in terms of high rises because of these issues with buildings. So as always, if you have any questions about what we've talked about on today's podcast, please just send me an email, questions at tricksofyourtrade.com.au or engage with us on social media. So we're on Instagram, it's at tricksofyourtrade. We also have a Facebook page um, and LinkedIn. So I would dearly love to have you guys engage with me. You guys are pretty shy out there in terms of social media. I don't often get you guys wanting to talk to me in public and that's okay. Um, that's why I always hand out my email address on these podcasts as well. So look forward to hearing from you. And if you could give me a, a rating or a review, I'd be ever so grateful. Are you an Aussie tradie and your paperwork is shady? Do the darkest farm side keep you up late at night? Are you sick of pushing papers? Swinging your tools the more you gave up. Call us the tricks of your trade. Welcome to the Tricks of Your Trade podcast, where we talk about trade business topics to help you get through business life unscathed. Does the bill to pay you late and you can't?
Cash for the fuck you wait. Do you dread the office work? Can't afford a full-time clerk? Consider working smarter. Don't be a business smarter. Call us the tricks of your trade. 